You don't need to be a bioengineer to help change the shape of humanity. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get Our Way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Balchunas. Eric, you went down under to Australia, (laughs) but while you went down under, crypto seemed to go down under. I'm curious, while you were on your trip, which was a work ETF-inspired travel abroad, how much did people want to talk about crypto, not ETFs? A little bit. Uh, Obviously, I'm there for the ETF market, and it's not as big of a deal there. I just felt like the mental thing was more about the ETF market and Australian equities and that kind of thing, but certainly it came up. But where I noticed it the most was on my Twitter feed. I would go to bed, and I, when you wake up in Australia at, say, 6.37, it's 3.34 p.m. in the U.S. So I would get to see a whole day's news flow. And, of course, there was always one or two new nuggets of, like, horrendous details about FTX, the crypto exchange that halted redemptions, halted withdrawals, and allegedly used customer funds. And Sam Bankman-Fried, who or, you know, was the face of crypto, he was supposed to be, like, this disheveled tech nerd that, like, you could trust – versus, say, the Wall Street slick people. And this was a whole image covered on many, many magazines, many TV shows. And for this to be a complete implosion, I think is, I can't overstate how brutal it is for crypto because of how popular he was and how how much media exposure he had. Plus, the other thing is, having come from investor relations and crisis communications, I worked at a firm there for a couple of years, what you want with bad news is just get it all out quick and let the news flow uh, take something else two, day, two days later. This comes out drip, 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 drip. Every new day, we're on like week three now, and there's still new details. This is bad. This could be, I'm not going to say it's the death blow for crypto, but it is a devastating punch. Which I'm I'm really wanting to talk about this. So we're going to be joined by James uh, Seifert from Bloomberg Intelligence and Katie Greifeld from Bloomberg News. We spent, in the in the good times, we spent a lot of time talking about crypto and Bitcoin ETFs. And then now we've hit not only a crypto winner, but maybe a crypto nuclear winner is what a lot of people are calling it. So I think it's worth us talking about this again and and what it might mean for ETFs. Yeah, maybe a crypto coma. And the question is, will it wake up? This time on Trillions, what the SBF? Katie, James, welcome back to Trillions. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Okay, Katie, it felt like the ETF world was really excited about Bitcoin. How does it feel now? I mean, if you think back a year ago, I feel like we were talking about all-time highs. We had just gotten the futures Bitcoin ETF out the door. Dear SEC, here's another application. Maybe you missed my last one. Yeah, for sure. People were like, okay, this was the last needed step. Now we're going to get a spot Bitcoin ETF. You also had all these crypto-ish products launch, just dozens of them. And then worldwide, you have all these actual crypto ETPs. 
you look at where we are now, November uh, 2022, and it's a totally different picture. And we've seen that big pipeline that I just talked about is dried up. And are there hopes for a spot Bitcoin ETF at this point? It doesn't feel like it. Well, let me say this before we get to that. I, I agree. It's <laughs> Things don't look good right now. But <laughs> James, doesn't an ETF fix this? If the spotted Bitcoin ETF had been approved, like we were all saying the SEC should, and you were in this, you probably wouldn't have felt much. You, you could. There's no way your funds would have been like uh, frozen, and and the ones that traded seemed to trade fine. So it seemed like we were actually right by by encouraging the SEC to uh, approve a spot Bitcoin ETF. Yeah, I mean, if you had money at FTX or BlockFi or wherever ge- Genesis that's frozen right now. You would have much preferred to have your money in uh, a Bitcoin ETF, which you can do it through a futures ETF, but that's the that's not exactly what people want. People want spot, and they went to these other areas, and right now they're in trouble. And if you had an ETF that was regulated by the SEC under the 33 Act, we wouldn't be having as much of a conversation. But no matter what, people would have lost a lot of money because there was a lot of money on this even before we were looking at a spot Bitcoin ETF approval. Worth mentioning that there are those futures-based products that you you just alluded to. How have they stood up in all of this? So actually, they've done tremendously well. Their bid-ask spreads have stayed very tight. Um, the trading has gone through the roof. Bid-O is now the one, a very highly traded ETF. It's more, it's more traded than GBTC, which didn't seem possible last year. So it's, it's traded very well. It's traded tightly. And honestly, one of the big things we were worried about for potential with Bitcoin futures ETFs is, as has been talked about on the show many times, and when you trade futures, there's the potential for backward backwardation and contango. So you you have to sell a contract every month, essentially. So if you're selling the contract and you're selling a contract at one price and you have to buy a contract at a higher price, that constantly eats away at your returns. Um, and the year and a half leading up to the Bitcoin futures ETF approval, that rolling that front month future contract would have underperformed spot Bitcoin itself by 180% over a year and a half, which is a lot. So we were worried. We didn't think it would be quite that bad. Futures have become more institutionalized, more efficient, but we were worried that it could be 10, 12% a year based on what we were seeing in the markets. But what happened in the futures market for Bitcoin, everything flattened out. There's barely any curve. At some points, there was a tiny bit of backwardation, which actually aids in the, in the performance. So we've only seen over the last uh, year since this thing launched, like Katie mentioned, it's only underperformed by about 1.8, 1.9% on spot market. And these things charge 95 basis points. So you take out half of that and it's basically tracking within a percentage point of spot Bitcoin. The problem is it's down 77%. So, <laughs> so the 1.8, I mean, that, that's like, um, does probably little to, uh, I guess, sue the people who may have bought it. So It's Bitto, working great unless you are invested in it, <laughs> <laughs> basically. But talk a little bit. Bitto, one-year-old. Uh, you guys wrote mm-hmm. a story about it. You actually wished it a happy birthday on ETF IQ. I it was I, I share a birthday with Bitto. You, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's cute. I'm a lot older, but yeah. uh, w- w- what's your take on Bitto and how it's uh, held up since then? I will say it almost feels like there's this very delicious irony here that the spot Bitcoin ETF, or rather the futures-backed ETFs, have performed so well. And I've spoken to a lot of ETF people, some in this room, who have said that you know this is why we should have a spot. ETF for all the problems or the potential problems that would have been avoided that James went through. But if you're Gary Gensler, who's one of his underlying problems is the exchanges. He's, you know, made a point of that. And we're talking about this fantastic blow up of one of the biggest exchanges. I don't think this moves the needle in a in a good way for the spot Bitcoin ETF crowd. Um, and one of the reasons we said that they should approve a spot Bitcoin ETF is that 
the it would all these market makers who are not dumb. These are highly sophisticated people with a lot of money at play. They would have nosed their way into these exchanges a bit, and it's possible they would have sniffed out some problems with FTX long before and not used it. But even if they, even if FTX had a problem, there's multiple exchanges, so they would be able to source liquidity elsewhere. And I think that's the the moral of the story: is an ETF kind of takes away that that risk of one of these exchanges uh, having an implosion and halting redemptions. I will say FTX was the trading platform in the crypto world. Everyone wanted to use FTX because of the way they did liquidations, because of how efficient the trading was. So there were institutions that were caught up in that. But yeah, like you were mentioning, in the in the ETF world, you have the Jane Streets, the Vert2, uh, Susquehanna, Ken Griffith, Citadel. These people are all in here. They are the biggest money in the world, and they are trading. They make markets more efficient when they trade. That said, they might have been using FTX because there's plenty of institutions that had money on FTX that we now know they don't know how much money they're going to get back, if any at all. And not small amounts of money. No, eight like, figures. Yeah, millions of dollars. Okay, so Eric, what are the odds that the SEC wades into this and ever, ever, ever approves a spot Bitcoin ETF? So. On one hand, this is devastating to crypto in general, and I don't know, it, you could say, well, this probably just prolonged the spot Bitcoin ETF because this proves Gensler's sort of worries. On the other hand, this could fast-track regulation, and we all know that was the one thing Gensler needed to satisfy uh, him for approving a spot Bitcoin ETF, then he would feel more comfortable. So maybe this actually gets it going. Um, and I think the question is, let's just say hypothetically, there's regulation. Maybe Biden says to Gensler, get something going, or even says to Congress, get some regulations out. And then Gensler's happy. They approve a spot Bitcoin ETF. Let's just say that all happens in a year. Probably not, but let's just say it does. Will advisors ever come back? I know they trust the ETF, and they would certainly be like, this is probably going to be better for me than an exchange. But is crypto so, um, I guess, mutilated and the reputation so bad in the toilet that it doesn't even matter anymore? Yeah, I, I would say we, Eric and I were on the record. We thought 2023 was a realistic opportunity. This was granted over a year ago when we first started saying that. I still think 2023 isn't off the table for the reasons Eric mentioned. I, we, my over-under was basically September 30th, 2022, end of Q3. Um, I Part of that was that I thought there was tail risk or tail uh, potential for like some sort of big regulation to come in and us get like an earlier approval than we expected, maybe like Q1 or Q2 of this year based on like some regulatory guidelines. There was a lot of movement in Congress. Ironically, FTX was trying to change the way things were happening, which would have made their markets regulated by the CFTC, which could have satisfied it. Obviously, that's not happening. So I think all those tail risk events of potentially having an early um, move move towards regulation, getting more regulatory clarity are gone. So I don't know that the that September 2023 is going to happen anymore, but I don't think it's completely gone. As Eric mentioned, this could bring more regulation, more demand for Congress to step in and do something here. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ.
There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. But what about the ultimate question here, which is, will would investors come back if there were a regulated entity like a spot Bitcoin ETF? That's like the big rallying bull cry, right? That it'll unlock this previously untapped type of investor. But at this point, I'm not sure. Well, to that yeah, end, well, yeah, but is the untapped market turned off? That's a great question. If you think about who would be using a spot Bitcoin ETF trying to put it into, you know, perhaps accounts that they can't go out and have a cold wallet necessarily. Hodl, right? That's <laughs> somebody would want to get in low, yeah. hodl it and watch it potentially go higher. So, so the, I, I think I think if that product existed, somebody would be willing to to dabble in it. And the whole point of it would be that it would be safe. I don't think there's any political win here. For anybody to touch this, so I don't see that I'm bearish on your call for on regulations. You mean on 2023? I don't. I don't. I think it's just a lose lose. It just looks nasty. So right now, at least, I wouldn't see anybody right. it, willing to weigh in. It's and too make, radioactive. M- make any clarity here? Yeah, that's that's the that's why I opened maybe 2030. With, odds are still low, but there is perceivably a path. But I would still stick to low odds. It's definitely radioactive right now. I don't think, like, if Gensler were to approve a spot Bitcoin ETF right now, I can't, like, he's obviously not going to go anywhere near it. Uh, But a few months from now, I I do think there's going to be a call from people in Congress, from regulators and legislators to to do something about regulation in the cryptocurrency space. So so we are about to talk about something, and I want to come back to it, which is... GBTC. If we we said it earlier, what is it, and what makes it really interesting right now? GBTC is an over-the-counter trust that does it. It's almost like a closed-end fund, um, where so it's it doesn't trade. There's no arbitrage, so it doesn't trade near the NAV of uh, Bitcoin. It's once traded at a huge premium, and now it's at a huge discount. I think 42, 43 no, percent. It closed at forty-five on Friday. Forty-five and going down. Well, yeah, and that's that's crazy. That's a that's a steep discount. And GBTC was. Um, which is, by the way, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Yeah, a lot of people had used this because there was no spot ETF. I think a lot, maybe they didn't even understand that it could have these steep discounts. But it's kind of a bummer if you went in anywhere near that premium or if it was close to the NAV and now you're down 44%, even though Bitcoin was flat. 
it just would be a bummer to lose. That's why ETFs Which is are crazy. great. So Bitcoin is at one price, yeah. high. If you're in this thing, yeah. you're 44% off whatever that spot price is. Right. I so- actually have some sizes here. I was just looking this up. Um, in rough terms, <laughs> since the end of 2015, GBTC is up something like 1,000%. But Bitcoin itself is up over 3,000%. So this thing has lagged and lagged and lagged. Uh, the 45% discount is staggering. But when you put it that way, it's even more dramatic. Yeah. and But a lot of the lagging happened on the downturn, too. Mm-hmm. And so the, I think I look one point where Bitcoin was flat and you were down like a bunch. And that would really hurt. Uh, it's If you're up 1,000%, <laughs> you could still kind of sleep at night, I think. Uh, but it's when you're down and Bitcoin's flat or something like that, uh, which is can be frustrating. And, and but, maybe you can't get your money out either, right? Yeah. Well, 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 you could sell it, but again, you'd be selling at a dis- it'd be like buying something and then, you know, it's, do you want to sell it 44 dis- 44% discount or the idea is you wait around, potentially it comes up or if Grayscale's trying to convert it to an ETF, that would completely close that gap. Some people are buying GBTC for that hope. They feel like it's like, almost like a a call option on them converting to an ETF, which would give you 44% just like that. And that's a that's a could would be a great trade, right? But that's the risk, and it doesn't look like that's likely. But James recently looked into this, and G- Grayscale's owners are having a bit of a problem. So now there's a whole debate on whether GBTC will will be forced to liquidate, or could have problems um, and and solvency potential with the people who own them. So James, why don't you go into that whole scene right now? <laughs> so let me take a step back. Digital Currency Group is the owner of Grayscale. They own 200 some odd other companies. One of the the two big companies that most people know in the crypto world are Grayscale, which operates GBTC, and Genesis, which is basically a prime broker. They were the first institutionalized prime broker in the cryptocurrency space. Right now, Genesis had some unknown exact exposure to the FTX blowup. Right now, Genesis and DCG are trying to raise money. It's been reported by multiple sources that they're trying to raise a billion dollars or so in emergency financing. Um, Genesis could potentially be heading towards some... They're definitely in a liquidity or solvency crisis, so we don't know what's going to happen. There could be news by the time this drops that something big has happened in the space. So a lot of people are concerned about some sort of contagion risk with Genesis going into getting into trouble, which brings DCG into trouble, which leaves people unknown to what's going to happen to, G- to GBTC. Now, in the in the documents of GBTC, they specifically state that if the sponsor goes has goes into insolvent or goes into insolvency or files for bankruptcy, then the trust will be liquidated unless fifty percent of the shares vote to like transfer to a new sponsor, like go to I don't know Goldman or Coinbase or some other person that would sponsor this trust. Um, but that means if they if this if Grayscale does go bankrupt, which I don't see any way that that happens right now because of the amount of money they're bringing in on all these trusts. But again, maybe DCG sells off Grayscale as an investment to raise capital. I don't know if they would want to do that. This is one of the crown crown jewels of their portfolio. Um, but it's, essentially, it comes down to the fact that if GBTC has to sell. Uh, has to liquidate, they're going to sell the Bitcoin in the open market. It's not, A lot of people seem to think like, oh, I'm just going to get the Bitcoin back that I have a pro rata share. No, the documents are very clear that you would get, they would sell the Bitcoin in the open market and give you a pro rata share of those sales. So there's a theory out there that DCG is actually shorting Bitcoin and buying GBTC, knowing they're going to liquidate and they're going to pocket the 44% 
Well, so that's a theory out there. But I mean, we know for a fact that they were buyers of GBTC, big buyers in, in Q2 of 2022. They were buyers in Q1, they were buyers in Q2, and they were actually sellers in Q3. And I'm assuming they're also sellers now in Q4. There's no way to know for sure, but I'd be willing to bet that they're probably selling some shares. But there's also, they can't just sell. There's the GBTC, it's what it's a it's a rule 144A offering, which like we're going to get way into the weeds. We don't have to get into that, but it's not regulated under the 1940 Act, like the closed end funds you talked about. But under 144A, if you're a related party, which DCG is, you can only sell one percent of the shares outstanding that every three months. So they, it's not like they can just dump this on the street immediately. They have to sell slowly if they are selling. I'm assuming based on what's happening with Genesis and DCG that they're likely selling a little bit to try to raise money. But we, we don't know exactly what's going on behind the scenes. This is very opaque. This is not like the ETF world where we know exactly what's going on. Wait. I, I have a word. What? Speculation. This is just, it feels so, all of this feels so speculative. It's hard to throw, think about throwing money into this, in this, whatever this is. Yeah, it feels hard earned money. Here you go. It feels a little and black hole. Just gone. Yeah, gone, gone, gone. I've spent more time on Signal and in Twitter DMs <laughs> over the past two weeks than I have in any other period as a journalist. But I have a question for James. So wait, I understand why DCG was buying shares of GBTC. A lot of letters here. Uh, why were they? Why were they selling? Do you think that was just to raise cash? Why would DCG be selling shares of GBTC? I don't know. There's no way to know exactly why they're selling, but they owned a ton of it. So th- there's no reason, like, if they need to get uh, unloaded a little bit off of their balance sheet or they just don't want to have that much exposure, they're going to sell slowly over time. They're probably trying to limit the um, market impact of that selling. Who, who knows? We don't know why they're selling, but we know they, they're they the largest holder by far. They own more shares of GBTC than any individual entity has owned of GBTC in its history. Um, so it's not like they're just unloading tons and tons of shares. It's a very small amount that they sold in Q3. Can I ask another speculation question? Yeah. Kathy Wood bought GBTC shares last week, and I never got a satisfying answer why. Maybe you could speculate about that, too. So when she bought, Bitcoin was around $16,000, $17,000 per Bitcoin. GBTC at the time was trading at a 42-ish percent discount, maybe more during the day. So... I recently saw GBTC was trading over a 50% discount. So there are times intraday where it goes crazy. So she could have seen one of those times and was like, basically, if you're buying at that discount, you're buying exposure to Bitcoin at, like I said, it's $17,000. You're getting it $9,500. That's what your exposure is at this type of discount. So she might have just said this. She's definitely a believer in Bitcoin. We know that for sure. So she probably just thought this was too good of an opportunity to get exposure. Well, but doesn't she also like to maintain weightings that are consistent and if GBTC went down she had none she she had none there was no this is a clean new buy this oh interesting okay. she I, had it in this ETF she had a very very thought, small isn't amount isn't it Arc W all, all the time Arc W it was um, she hadn't bought since July 2021 yeah but sometimes she buys uh, just to keep the weight at where it was because if it goes down she has to buy it to keep the weight up this was a big buy okay yeah 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 this podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ what do all the greatest innovations have in common agents people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund, so you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ.
There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. That that idea of buying at a discount, I find really interesting. And I, I am curious, like, how much new money, non-crypto money could possibly come, could wash into this space? Well, I mean, if we get a spot Bitcoin ETF, we know for a fact there's trillions of dollars in U.S. advisors that would probably take a nibble at this potentially. I mean, the other thing you've got to realize is Bitcoin itself has had like four or five 80% plus drawdowns. And every time people are saying this is the end of crypto, this is the end of Bitcoin. And so far it's come back. Now, obviously, this could be actually the end of Bitcoin. Maybe it's not going to get back to that $69,000 high we saw. But this is part of crypto. If you're investing in crypto, you probably, That's if true. you did any bit of research, you knew that an 80% plus drawdown was a realistic possibility and a realistic risk. And FTX, granted, they're a huge exchange. But back in the day when Malt Gox went under, which was an exchange that went bankrupt and they got hacked, they were the exchange. It's not like it was like a bunch of other exchanges. It, it was Mt. Gox and nobody else, and they lost money, and everyone said this was it. Silk Road got hacked. They said, oh, that's it for Bitcoin. And we keep, it keeps coming back. There's a lot of people still in this industry obviously hurting right now, but I, I don't know that I would count crypto and Bitcoin completely out forever. Well, I agree. I would never count it out. It's come back too many times. The difference between Gox and Silk Road, though, are that this guy was on the cover of every magazine, um, except Business Week. Not Bloomberg, yeah. Business Week. Except yeah. when he fell and yeah, that great cover with In Ruins, uh, really good. But yeah, he was just like Elizabeth Holmes, the next Buffett, which by the way, should be a bear signal every time now. Also, hiring Larry David, g- giving all these political people money. Basically, I, I don't know, I felt red flags come up when I saw FTX on every umpire in, M- in the Major Why didn't League. you say anything? I did. I tweeted out. I said, "This is there's something wrong here because MLB is not the crypto audience. These are like 60, 70-year-old people who are not going to... That's how much money they were just spraying everywhere. They could advertise in places that weren't even their target market. They sponsored a sports stadium. I mean, all this stuff... I've just been spending a year doing a book on Bogle, who would... He hated advertising. He thought that was a sign that the company's misusing your money. Do you remember what Bogle said when we asked him about crypto? Oh, he said, I, I wouldn't touch her over my dead body. Yeah. And, and well, the reason he, he wouldn't... I think there was an explicit 
the the reason Bogle didn't like crypto though Expletive. wasn't it wasn't because of the SBF potential. It was just because it's a commodity. And this is a thing that crypto people miss. Sometimes crypto people trash the S&P 500 and stocks and all this stuff. And I'm like, it's different. Stocks have cash flow. There's something of value there. Crypto is like a commodity. It's only worth what someone else will pay for it. And that's why Buffett and Bogle weren't hot on commodities or crypto. And that basic thing of crypto not having anything beneath it besides what someone else will pay for it is the scary part where it, you know, it could go down more. And it, stocks have money and cash flow to support them, especially an index fund with 500 stocks, which is why if I told crypto all along, don't beat up on the S&P. You don't know what you're talking about. You went to Australia. People listen to trillions there. What'd you learn? I know. It was weird. I, you know how bands are like big in Japan? You know that whole thing? Or we're big in Europe? Like the Pixies were a band in the US that nobody really, but in Europe they were huge. Um, we're big in Australia, guys. No oh, kidding. Yeah. yeah. I, the per capita of people who said, oh, I listen to trillions was way off the charts. It, I couldn't believe it. So yeah, a lot of people are into it. I think what it speaks to is the whole of media there. There is nobody there doing ETF media. So they ha- they come to their star for it. We love you, Australia. James, Katie, thanks for joining us on Trillions. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weppershow. He's at Eric Balchunas. This episode of Trillions was produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Bye. Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.